0: Hello, peoples, and welcome to Esoterica Cinema, the podcast where we take films from the cinematic multiverse and discuss the hell out of them. My name is Jason Peters, and I am coming at you with another patented five-minute review. I got five on it. Today's film is Quest for Fire. This is a film that was released in 1981 by 20th Century Fox, directed by Jean-Jacques Henault, written by Gerard Brock, and based on a novel by J.H. Rosny of the same name. The film cost about $12 million to produce and made $55 million back, so a very solid return for 20th Century Fox at the time. Let's go ahead and check out a description here. Letterboxd has this as follows. In the prehistoric world, a Cro-Magnum tribe depends on an ever-burning source of fire, which eventually extinguishes. Lacking the knowledge to start a new fire, the tribe sends three warriors on a quest for more. With the tribe's future at stake, the warriors make their way across a treacherous landscape full of hostile tribes and monstrous beasts. On their journey, they encounter Ika, a woman who has the knowledge that they seek— now, if this sounds like an adventure, it is, but it's also a sort of artsy adventure, right? It, it positions itself as a science fantasy, which which I like, you know, as opposed to like science fiction. And it it kind of, you know, works both angles a little bit. It does at times feel like a sort of extended sequence of the opening. From 2001 A Space Odyssey, from Stanley Kubrick, with the Dawn of Man sequence, even some of like the musical tones and sound cues ki- kind of feel like they have elements borrowing from that film, which, look, it's one of the best of all time. If you're going to borrow, borrow from that. Now, I will say this is a good film. I really enjoyed it, and in particular, I thought it was pretty ballsy, because what it attempts to do is it attempts to go back, you know, uh, millions of years and tell I want to say it's like Cro-Magnum. I'm really bad about the exact times, you know, when Neanderthal went to Cro-Magnum, went to, you know, whoever bridged the gap from Homo sapien in there. I'm not super well up on those, but this is well before the advent of modern man. And to that point, the entire film is told with no dialogue. This is before obviously English or any other language has been created. And so instead of just having them all speak, and, you know, betray that authenticity, the filmmaker actually makes a very strong decision to create an entire language and an entire symbolism of movement and communication of body language as well as vocals. But instead of being an actual formalized language, it's a series of grunts and howls and gestures the way that you would imagine – such language was communicated at the time, right? This is very, very early, man. We're just advanced beyond apes at this point. And so, yeah, a lot of this stuff is going to be in our super early stages. And as such, even the way that it treats violence and sex is very interesting because, again, this is before emotions apparently, and and it's just this very sort of primal savage act, the act of mating, right? And it's just the dude sort of... Going up and fighting one another for the right to and privilege to be able to mate with the, one of the available females, uh, whether or not she wants to. Right? They're they're just taking her and they're fighting off other people. And so again, they're acting in this very sort of animalistic, uh, primal sort of way that I I really appreciated because it hasn't really been portrayed in that way previously. And even some of the moments that could really come off as like super hackney and jokey. Actually, kind of end up working. I will say, without spoiling anything, that this film will show you what it is purporting is the invention of the missionary position. As one of these characters attempts to have a more emotional style of lovemaking, right? That she's going to teach to these people. So that's kind of where this film is at. And again, I think that's very interesting. Part of what makes this work is the people that they brought in to really serve all of this. So as far as the language itself, they actually brought in Anthony Burgess, who was the novelist who wrote A Clockwork Orange and obviously made his own language within the context of that book, though... That's really more of his own vocabulary using English than it is creating an entirely new language. But he was responsible for all of the vocals. And I do forget, but they had another person come in and do all of the choreography for the gestures and expressions. Now, the acting is also what really sells this, right? Because you can come up with all this great language and gestures and all of that, but if you don't have actors that can pull it off, it's not really going to work. And these actors all do a great job. You've got three cavemen that are really pretty much the bulk of the main characters that are on this quest for fire. Oh look at that. It's an aptly named title. But it's not just a clever name. And they're played by Everett McGill, Ron Perlman, better known as Hellboy, and Namir El Cuddy. And then the female that they, they come into contact with not too long into the film her name is Ray Don Chong. And again, these are you know sort of primal names that they have. They're not English names, so I won't really put them out there right now. But three cavemen, one woman on this quest for fire. And that's another thing that I thought was really interesting is just the overall idea that early man thought of fire as something to be harnessed and protected – Because they didn't know how to make it. So in the film, they've actually got like a small ember that's like protected in this bone, you know, the skull of an animal or something. And one person is responsible for making sure that it's held over water when they're traversing across rivers and things of that nature. And so they're always in this panic trying to keep it lit. And if it starts to go dim, they're making sure to blow on it to keep it alive. And I just, again, thought it was very interesting that – Early man who didn't know how to make fire would look at it that way, right? As if it was some sort of nuclear-generating mini-explosion that it had to foster to be able to make sure that it kept going, because if it went out, there was no way to capture it again. And I think that's just a really interesting setup for a story. I'll say that as far as the director is concerned, his name is Jean-Jacques Hanaud. I'm not really familiar with him. This is the first film of his I have seen. I would say that of his filmography, which is probably about 10 to 12 deep, Enemy at the Gates, Seven Years in Tibet, and the mid to late 80s film The Bear. Those would probably be his most famous films. And then apparently this one, as we saw from the box office at the top, did well as well. So this would be another one that he's known for. And I think he does a really interesting job of keeping things very authentic in terms of the way that the actors and the world is. You know, this is all shot on various locations with outside exteriors. Everything feels very real. It's not on some sort of soundstage or anything like that. And again, the actors do a great job in their portrayals. However, it definitely still feels like a movie, right? It has that cinematic quality to it just with the the way that the shots are composed and the way that the – stages are set the compositions of the photography the overall feel you know you can still definitely tell that there's a lot of these very cinematic qualities so you've got the style that that brings but then also the substance as well of again these very sort of authentic flourishes throughout the film a film like this is also going to live or die on the strength of its makeup and it still holds up after all this time after 40 some odd years right this film, actually, the makeup was good enough for it to win an Academy Award, which may have been one of the first. And you can obviously still tell that it's people in some sort of makeup or what have you, but it, it it's enough to get you to buy in. And at the end of the day, that's really all we need. Three adjectives for you. Confident, intriguing, and cinematic. Going to go with a star rating of 4 out of 5. So do check out Quest for Fire. Good movie. You can also go to the website and let us know what you thought about the film, esotericacinema.com. You can also reach us on Instagram as well as via email, esotericacinema at gmail.com. That's it for this episode. I'm Jason Peters. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy the movies.